0: Section 4 of Geronel by Émile Zola, translated by Havelock Ellis. This liver recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Part 1. Chapter 4. The four pikemen had spread themselves one above the other over the whole face of the cutting, separated by planks hooked on to retain the fallen coal. They each occupied about four meters of the seam and this seam was so thin, scarcely more than fifty centimeters thick at this spot, that they seemed to be flattened between the roof and the wall, dragging themselves along by their knees and elbows, and unable to turn without crushing their shoulders. In order to attack the coal, they had to lie on their sides with their necks twisted and arms raised, brandishing, in a sloping direction, their short-handled picks. Below, there was, first, Zachary. Levesque and Cheval were on the stages above, and at the very top was Maheux. Each worked at the lady bed, which he dug out with blows of the pick. Then he made two vertical cuttings in the bed and attached the block by burying an iron wedge in its upper part. The coal was rich. The block broke and rolled in fragments along their bellies and thighs. When these fragments, retained by the plank, had collected round them, the pikemen disappeared buried in the narrow cleft mayhew suffered most at the top the temperature rose to thirty five degrees and the air was stagnant so that in the long run it became lethal in order to see he had been obliged to fix his lamp to a nail near his head and this lamp close to his skull still further heated his blood but his torment was especially aggravated by the moisture the rock above him, a few centimeters from his face, streamed with water, which fell in large, continuous, rapid drops, with a sort of obstinate rhythm, always at the same spot. It was vain for him to twist his head or bend back his neck. They fell on his face, dropping unceasingly. In a quarter of an hour he was soaked, and at the same time covered with sweat, smoking as with the hot steam of a laundry this morning a drop beating upon his eye made him swear he would not leave his picking he dealt great strokes which shook him violently between the two rocks like a fly caught between two leaves of a book and in danger of being completely flattened not a word was exchanged they all hammered one only heard these irregular blows which seemed veiled and remote the sounds had a sonorous hoarseness without any echo in the dead air, and it seemed that the darkness was an unknown blackness, thickened by the floating coal dust, made heavy by the gas which weighed on the eyes. The wicks of the lamps beneath their caps of metallic tissue only showed as reddish points. One could distinguish nothing. The cutting opened out above like a large chimney, flat and oblique, in which the soot of ten years had amassed a a profound night. Spectral figures were moving in it. The gleams of light enabled one to catch a glimpse of a rounded hip, a knotty arm, a vigorous head, besmeared as if for a crime. Sometimes blocks of coal shone suddenly as they became detached, illuminated by a crystalline reflection. Then everything fell back into darkness, Pickaxes struck great hollow blows. One only heard panting chests, the grunting of discomfort and weariness beneath the weight of the air and the rain of the springs. Zachary, with arms weakened by a spree of the night before, soon left his work on the pretense that more timbering was necessary. This allowed him to forget himself in quiet whistling, his eyes vaguely resting in the shade. Behind the pikemen, Nearly three meters of the seam were clear, and they had not yet taken the precaution of supporting the rock, having grown careless of danger and miserly of their time. "'Here, you swell,' cried the young man to Etienne, "'hand up some wood.' Etienne, who was learning from Catherine how to manage his shovel, had to raise the wood in the cutting. A small supply had remained over from yesterday. It was usually sent down every morning, ready cut to fit the bed." hurry up there Damn it! shouted zachary seeing the new putter hoist himself up awkwardly in the midst of the coal his arms embarrassed by four pieces of oak he made a hole in the roof with his pickaxe and then another in the wall and wedged in the two ends of the wood which thus supported the rock in the afternoon the workers in the earth cutting took the rubbish left at the bottom of the gallery by the pikemen and cleared out the exhausted section of the seam in which they destroyed the wood being only careful about the lower and upper roads for the haulage maheu ceased to groan at last he had detached his block and he wiped his streaming face on his sleeve he was worried about what zachary was doing behind him let it be he said we will see after breakfast better go on hewing if we want to make up our share of trams. It's because it's sinking, replied the young man. Look, there's a crack. It may slip. But the father shrugged his shoulders. Ah, nonsense. Slip. And if it did, it would not be the first time. They would get out of it, all right. He grew angry at last and sent his son to the front of the cutting. All of them, however, were now stretching themselves. Levaque, resting on his back, was swearing as he examined his left thumb, which had been grazed by the fall of a piece of sandstone. Chaval had taken off his shirt in a fury and was working with bare chest and back for the sake of coolness. They were already black with coal, soaked in a fine dust diluted with sweat, which ran down in streams and pools. Mehu first began again to hammer, lower down, with his head level with the rock. "'Now the drop struck his forehead so obstinately "'that he seemed to feel it piercing a hole in the bone of his skull. "'You mustn't mind,' explained Catherine to Etienne. "'They are always howling.' "'And like a good-natured girl, she went on with her lesson. "'Every laden tram arrived at the top in the same condition "'as it left the cutting, marked with a special metal token "'so that the receiver might put it to the reckoning of the stall.' it was necessary therefore to be very careful to fill it and only to take clean coal otherwise it was refused at the receiving office the young man his eyes were now becoming accustomed to the darkness looked at her still white with her chlorotic complexion and he could not have told her age he thought she must be twelve she seemed to him so slight however he felt she must be older with her boyish freedom A simple audacity, which confused him a little. She did not please him. He thought her too roguish, with her pale, pirou-head framed at the temples by the cap. But what astonished him was the strength of this child, a nervous strength which was blended with a good deal of skill. She filled her tram faster than he could, with quick, small, regular strokes of the shovel she afterwards pushed it to the inclined way with a single slow push without a hitch easily passing under the low rocks he tore himself to pieces got off the rails and was reduced to despair it was certainly not a convenient road it was sixty metres from the cutting to the upbrow and the passage which the miners in the earth cutting had not yet enlarged was a mere tube with a very irregular roof swollen by innumerable bosses at certain spots the laden tram could only just pass the putter had to flatten himself to push on his knees in order not to break his head and besides this the wood was already bending and yielding one could see it broken in the middle in long pale rents like an overweak crutch One had to be careful not to graze oneself in these fractures, and beneath the slow crushing, which caused the splitting of billets of oak as large as the thigh, one had to glide almost on one's belly with a secret fear of suddenly hearing one's back break. "'Again,' said Catherine, laughing. Etienne's tram had gone off the rails at the most difficult spot. He could not roll straight on these rails which sank in the damp earth and he swore, became angry, and fought furiously with the wheels, which he could not get back into place in spite of exaggerated efforts. Wait a bit, said the young girl. If you get angry, it will never go. Skillfully, she had glided down and thrust her buttocks beneath the tram, and by putting the weight on her loins, she raised it and replaced it. The weight was seven hundred kilograms, surprised and ashamed he stammered excuses she was obliged to show him how to straddle his legs and brace his feet against the planking on both sides of the gallery in order to give himself a more solid fulcrum the body had to be bent the arms made stiff so as to push with all the muscles of the shoulders and hips during the journey he followed her and watched her proceed with tense back her fists so low that she seemed trotting on all fours, like one of those dwarf beasts that perform at circuses. She sweated, panted, her joints cracked, but without a complaint, with the indifference of custom, as if it were the common wretchedness of all to live thus bent double. But he could not succeed in doing as much. His shoes troubled him. His body seemed broken by walking in this way with lowered head. At the end of a few minutes, the position became a torture, an intolerable anguish, so painful that he got on his knees for a moment to straighten himself and breathe. Then, at the upbrow, there was more labor. She taught him to fill his tram quickly. At the top and bottom of this inclined plane, which served all the cuttings from one level to the other, there was a tremor, the brakesman above, the receiver below. These scamps of twelve to fifteen years shouted abominable words to each other, and, to warn them, it was necessary to yell still more violently. Then, as soon as there was an empty tram to send back, the receiver gave the signal, and the putter embarked her full tram, the weight of which made the other ascend when the brakesman loosened his brake. Below, IN THE BOTTOM GALLERY or form the trains which the horses drew to the shaft. "'Here, you confounded rascals!' cried Catherine in the inclined way, which was wood-lined, about a hundred meters long, and resounded like a gigantic trumpet. The trammers must have been resting, for neither of them replied. On all the levels, haulage had stopped. A shrill girl's voice said at last, "'One of them must be on Moquette, sure enough!' There was a roar of laughter, and the putters of the whole scene held their sides. Who is that? asked Étienne of Catherine. The latter named Little Lady, a scamp who knew more than she ought, and who pushed her tram as stoutly as a woman in spite of her doll's arms. As to Moquette, she was quite capable of being with both the trammers at once. But the voice of the receiver arose, shouting out to load doubtless a captain was passing beneath haulage began again on the nine levels and one only heard the regular calls of the trammers and the snorting of the putters arriving at the uprow and steaming like overladen mares it was the element of bestiality which breathed in the pit the sudden desire of the male when a miner met one of these girls on all fours with her flanks in the air and her hips Bursting through her boy's breeches, and on each journey Etienne found again at the bottom the stuffiness of the cutting, the hollow and broken cadence of the axes, the deep, painful sighs of the pikemen persisting in their work. All four were naked, mixed up with the coal, soaked with black mud up to the cap. At one moment it had been necessary to free Mehu, who was gasping, and to remove the planks so that the coal could fall into the passage zacharie and levaque became enraged with the seam which was now hard they said and which would make the condition of their account disastrous chaval turned lying for a moment on his back abusing Etienne, whose presence decidedly exasperated him a sort of worm hasn't the strength of a girl are you going to fill your tub it's to spare your arms eh damned if i don't keep back the ten sous if you get us one refused the young man avoided replying too happy at present to have found this convict's labour and accepting the brutal rule of the worker by master worker but he could no longer walk his feet were bleeding his limbs torn by horrible cramps his body confined in an iron girdle fortunately it was ten o'clock and the stall decided to have breakfast mahout had a watch but he did not even look at it at the bottom of this starless night he was never five minutes out all put on their shirts and jackets then descending from the cutting they squatted down their elbows to their sides their buttocks on their heels in that posture so habitual with miners that they keep it even when out of the mine, without feeling the need of a stone or a beam to sit on. And each, having taken out his brick, bit seriously at the thick slice, uttering occasional words on the morning's work. Catherine, who remained standing, at last joined Etienne, who had stretched himself out farther along, across the rails, with his back against the planking. There was a place there almost dry. You don't eat? she said to him, with her mouth full and her brick in her hand then she remembered that this youth wandering about at night without a sou perhaps had not a bit of bread will you share with me and as he refused declaring that he was not hungry while his voice trembled with a gnawing in his stomach she went on cheerfully ah if you are fastidious but here i've only bitten on that side i'll give you this she had already broken the bread and butter into two pieces The young man, taking his half, restrained himself from devouring it all at once, and placed his arms on his thighs so that she should not see how he trembled. With her quiet air of good comradeship, she lay beside him at full length on her stomach, with her chin in one hand, slowly eating with the other. Their lamps, placed between them, lit up their faces. Catherine looked at him a moment in silence. She must have found him handsome with his delicate face and black moustache she vaguely smiled with pleasure then you are an engine-driver and they sent you away from your railway why because i struck my chief she remained stupefied overwhelmed with her hereditary ideas of subordination and passive obedience i ought to say that i have been drinking he went on and when i drink i get mad i could devour myself and i could devour other people Yes, I can't swallow two small glasses without wanting to kill someone. Then I am ill for two days. You mustn't drink, she said, seriously. Ah, don't be afraid. I know myself. And he shook his head. He hated Brandy with the hatred of the last child of a race of drunkards who suffered in his flesh from all those ancestors, soaked and driven mad by alcohol, to such a point that the least drop had become poison to him it is because of mother that i didn't like being turned into the street he said after having swallowed a mouthful mother is not happy and i used to send her a five-franc piece now and then where is she then your mother at paris a laundress rue de la goutte d'or there was silence when he thought of these things a tremor dimmed his dark eyes the sudden anguish of the injury he brooded over in his fine youthful strength for a moment he remained with his looks buried in the darkness of the mine. And, at that depth, beneath the weight and suffocation of the earth, he saw his childhood again, his mother still beautiful and strong, forsaken by his father, then taken up again after having married another man, living with the two men who ruined her, rolling with them in the gutter, in drink and hors dure. It was down there, he recalled the street, the details came back to him. "'the dirty linen in the middle of the shop, "'the drunken carousals that made the house stink, "'and the jaw-breaking blows. "'Now,' he began again, in a slow voice, "'I haven't even thirty sous to make her presents with. "'She will die of misery, sure enough.' "'He shrugged his shoulders with despair "'and again bit at his bread and butter. "'Will you drink?' asked Catherine, uncorking her tin. "'Oh, it's coffee. It won't hurt you.' "'One gets dry when one eats like that.' "'But,' he refused, "'it was quite enough to have taken half her bread. "'However,' she insisted good-naturedly, "'and said at last, "'Well, I will drink before you, "'since you are so polite. "'Only you can't refuse now. "'It would be rude.' "'She held out her tin to him. "'She had got on to her knees, "'and he saw her quite close to him, "'lit up by the two lamps. "'Why had he found her ugly?' Now that she was black, her face powdered with fine charcoal. She seemed to him singularly charming. In this face, surrounded by shadow, the teeth in the broad mouth shone with whiteness, while the eyes looked large and gleamed with a greenish reflection like a cat's eyes. A lock of red hair, which had escaped from her cap, tickled her ear and made her laugh. She no longer seemed so young. She might be quite fourteen. To please you he said, drinking and giving her back the tin. She swallowed a second mouthful and forced him to take one, too. Wishing to share, she said, and that little tin, that went from one mouth to the other, amused them. He suddenly asked himself if he should not take her in his arms and kiss her lips. She had large lips of a pale rose color, made vivid by the coal, which tormented him with increasing desire." but he did not dare intimidated before her only having known girls on the streets of lille of the lowest order and not realizing how one ought to behave with a work-girl still living with her family you must be about fourteen then he asked after having gone back to his bread she was astonished almost angry what fourteen but i'm fifteen it's true i'm not big girls don't grow quick with us He went on questioning her, and she told everything without boldness or shame. For the rest, she was not ignorant concerning man and woman, although he felt that her body was virginal, with the virginity of a child delayed in her sexual maturity by the environment of bad air and weariness in which she lived. When he spoke of moquette, in order to embarrass her, she told some horrible stories in a quiet voice, with much amusement. Ah, she did some fine things. And as he asked if she herself had no lovers, she replied jokingly that she did not wish to vex her mother, but that it must happen some day. Her shoulders were bent. She shivered a little from the coldness of her garments, soaked in sweat, with a gentle resigned air, ready to submit to things and men. People can find lovers when they all live together, can't they? Sure enough. And then it doesn't hurt anyone. One doesn't tell the priest. Oh, the priest. I don't care for him, but there is the black man. What do you mean, the black man? The old miner who comes back into the pit and brings naughty girls necks. He looked at her, afraid that she was making fun of him. You believe in those stupid things? Then you don't know anything. Yes, I do. I can read and write. That is useful among us. In father and mother's time, they learnt nothing she was certainly very charming. When she had finished her bread and butter, he would take her and kiss her on her large rosy lips. It was the resolution of timidity, a thought of violence which choked his voice. These boys' clothes, this jacket and these breeches, on the girl's flesh, excited and troubled him. He had swallowed his last mouthful. He drank from the tin and gave it back to her, to empty. Now the moment for action had come, and he cast a restless glance at at the miners farther on but a shadow blocked the gallery for a moment chaval stood and looked at them from afar he came forward having assured himself that maheu could not see him and as catherine was seated on the earth he seized her by the shoulders drew her head back and tranquilly crushed her mouth beneath a brutal kiss affecting not to notice etienne there was in that kiss an act of possession a sort of jealous resolution "'However, the young girl was offended. "'Let me go, do you hear?' "'He kept hold of her head and looked into her eyes, "'his mustache and small red beard flamed in his black face "'with its large eagle nose. "'He let her go at last and went away without speaking a word. "'A shudder had frozen Etienne. "'It was stupid to have waited. "'He could certainly not kiss her now, "'for she would, perhaps, think that he wished to behave but the other.' "'In his wounded vanity he experienced real despair. "'Why did you lie?' he said in a low voice. "'He's your lover.' "'But no, I swear,' she cried. "'There is not that between us. "'Sometimes he likes a joke. "'He doesn't even belong here. "'It's six months since he came from the Pas-de-Calais.' "'Both rose. "'Work was about to be resumed. "'When she saw him so cold she seemed annoyed.' doubtless she found him handsomer than the other she would have preferred him perhaps the idea of some amiable consoling relationship disturbed her and when the young man saw with surprise that his lamp was burning blue with a large pale ring she tried at least to amuse him come i will show you something she said in a friendly way when she had led him to the bottom of the cutting she pointed out to him a crevice in the coal "'a slight bubbling escaped from it, "'a little noise like the warbling of a bird. "'Put your hand there. "'You'll feel the wind. "'It's fire damp.' "'He was surprised. "'Was that all? "'Was that the terrible thing which blew everything up?' "'She laughed. "'She said there was a good deal of it today "'to make the flame of the lamp so blue. "'Now, if you've done chattering, "'lazy louts,' cried Mehu's rough voice. Catherine and Etienne hastened to fill their trams and pushed them to the upbrow with stiffened back, crawling beneath the bossy roof of the passage. Even after the second journey, the sweat ran off them and their joints began to crack. The pikemen had resumed work in the cutting. The men often shortened their breakfast to avoid getting cold, and their bricks, eaten in this way far from the sun, with silent voracity, loaded their stomachs with lead. Stretched on their sides, they hammered more loudly with the one fixed idea of filling a large number of trams. Every thought disappeared in this rage for gain, which was so hard to earn. They no longer felt the water which streamed on them and swelled their limbs, the cramps of forced attitudes, the suffocation of the darkness in which they grew pale, like plants put in a cellar. Yet, as the day advanced, the air became more poisoned and heated with the smoke of the lamps, with the pestilence of their breaths, with the asphyxia of the fire damp, blinding to the eyes like spiders' webs, which only the aeration of the night could sweep away. At the bottom of their molehill, beneath the weight of the earth, with no more breath in their inflamed lungs, they went on hammering. End of Section 4